it really saves our patients from you know having to be put to sleep, having to be transferred to another procedure center, having to have a you know another procedure by another physician done. So it's really cutting costs. It's better for the patient and it's lowering the risk for them. Welcome to HealthWave. I'm Mitchell Nail. At HealthWave, we believe your health matters because you matter, and we hope you're healthy and well today. And this program is brought to you by St. Bernard's Healthcare, a trusted provider of comprehensive, compassionate healthcare services reaching 23 counties in Northeast Arkansas and Southeast Missouri. St. Bernard's flagship facility, St. Bernard's Medical Center, located in the heart of Jonesboro, Arkansas for 121 years, houses the only Level 3 trauma center and neonatal intensive care care unit in the region. For every stage of life, St. Bernard stands ready to serve you through education, treatment, and health services. I recently was able to record an on-location interview focusing on skin care and techniques related to treating skin cancers. And during this conversation, I met with St. Bernard's newest dermatologist and surgeon, Dr. Colton Nielsen, part of the 2021 class of physicians joining the St. Bernard's team. Dr. Nielsen, a native of Kansas, most recently completed fellowship training in a dermatological procedure known as Mohs Micrographic Surgery. And this procedure offers the highest cure rates for many types of skin cancers, all while keeping the skin surrounding the affected area intact. And with Dr. Nielsen's arrival, the St. Bernard's dermatology team has the only fellowship-trained Mohs surgeon in the eastern half of Arkansas. So during our discussion, Dr. Nielsen provided some fascinating insight into how we can protect our skin as well as what we can do if something goes wrong. So with that, I hope you enjoy the conversation I had with Dr. Colton Nielsen. I'm here at St. Bernard's Dermatology Procedure Center in Jonesboro, Arkansas, speaking with Colton Nielsen, MD, dermatologist and Mohs micrographic surgeon. Dr. Nielsen, I appreciate you taking time to join me today. Thanks so much for having me, Mitchell. Dr. Nielsen, I know you've been on the job at St. Bernard's a few months now as the system's first fellowship-trained surgeon in the Mohs procedure. What's the significance of the Mohs procedure and why is a fellowship an important part of it? Sure. So a fellowship is important as anything. You want to have specific training. So all the fellows came directly down from Frederick Mose. So Frederick Mose was the individual out of the University of Wisconsin who invented Mose micrographic surgery back in the day. And since then, there have been fellows through the American College of Mose Surgery who are trained directly through him. It's a one to two year fellowship, typically where you're learning to read the pathology and also learning the plastic surgery skills to have the capability to do the repair in the office as often as possible. The significance of that is it, it really saves our patients from, you know, having to be put to sleep, having to be transferred to another procedure center, having to have a, you know, another procedure by another physician done. So it's really cutting costs. It's better for the patient and it's lowering the risk for them. Dr. Nelson, I know the two most common types of skin cancer treated by Mohs are basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, although melanoma can be included in that list as well. Briefly describe the differences among those three to me. Absolutely. So basal cell is by far the most common type of skin cancer. There's a genetic component to every form of skin cancer, but there's also an environmental component. And so basal cell skin cancer most commonly is coming from sunburns before the age of 18. You accumulate damage with time, obviously, but sunburns being the most important component for basal cell skin cancer. The second most common type of skin cancer is a little bit more aggressive, and it's squamous cell skin cancer. It's actually 
typically caused by cumulative damage. So whereas the basal cell is more common and not as aggressive and is typically caused by sunburns, the squamous cell is actually going to be more of cumulative damage. So you're more thinking of individuals who are working outside daily, and that's kind of what we see most frequently. Those individuals who are working outside have a little bit more aggressive skin cancers, and that's typically going to be more commonly squamous cell. And then the third kind of that you mentioned uh, is the one that most people know, and that's the one you don't want to have. It's melanoma. So melanoma is deadly. Um, it is one of the most common causes of, of death out of any malignancy in the United States. And so it, you know, there's a genetic component to that as well. There's an environmental component. Um, and melanoma is something you don't want to mess with. So it is uh, a killer. It does kill people. And luckily here, what we've brought here to Jonesboro, the first one in the region, we actually specialize in Mohs micrographic surgery for melanoma. So you can actually have your melanoma taken off and we have special stains, which allow us to evaluate the melanoma and make sure that we get margin control and depth control, meaning we get all that melanoma out so it doesn't come back. And I appreciate you uh, correcting me on the squamous pr <laughs> uh, pronunciation. Yeah, you can uh, obviously tell my clinical background on this. What would make somebody a candidate for Mohs surgery? So there, there's something called the AUC, which is Appropriate Use Criteria for Mohs Micrographic Surgery. Um, and it's actually an app, and anyone can download the app and determine whether or not they qualify for Mohs Micrographic Surgery. But most commonly, Mohs Micrographic Surgery is used for high-risk, cosmetically sensitive areas or aggressive tumors. So on the head and neck, on the hands and feet, areas where you don't have a lot of wiggle room, essentially, for a surgical repair, where margin control and keeping it as small as possible really matters. So, you know, it really depends on probably two components, the type of skin cancer and the location of the skin cancer. First and foremost, Dr. Nielsen, I know you're a dermatologist, work that encompasses so much more than just skin cancers. We're approaching winter where some of the skin issues we can expect, you know, like dry skin, eczema, for example. How can we avoid problems in the winter with our skin? Yeah, so there's a lot of common things that people don't think about, including myself, that you can actually do to cut down on that. So one of the things that you mentioned was dry skin and the, the medical terminology for that is actually called xerosis cutis and that's just a common term for dry skin and and so as you know when you have cold weather it's common to get dry chapped lips dry chapped skin itchy skin and so there's several things that you can do to try and cut down on that the first thing is watch your shower so the hotter the shower obviously it feels great especially when it's cold outside but that causes you to dry skin out so you want to try and kind of keep the lukewarm showers when you dry off when you get outside of the shower you want to kind of pat yourself dry and to rub yourself dry because any form of friction is kind of causing an, an issue with the skin and drying that out. And then you want to get a good moisturizer. So when you get out of the shower, when your skin is moist, what you want to do is trap the moisture on your skin. And the way that you can do that is applying a moisturizer. So, you know, I really like Cetaphil or CeraVe. They're widely available. Any over-the-counter drugstore will have them. They're very affordable and they're great products, mostly because if you look on the ingredients, they don't have any additives or preservatives. So they shouldn't cause any, you know, allergies, any contact dermatitis any issues. And those are kind of just some simple tricks that you can do to keep your skin from drying out. And you might lower that hot water bill too in the process. Yeah, there you go. Just because the temperature drops doesn't mean that UV light goes away. What Absolutely. Are, what are your recommendations for skin protection during the fall and winter months? Absolutely. So people don't think about this. You think about like when you're on a beach getting sun exposure, but there's different types of UV light. So there's UVA, there's UVB, and there's UVC. UVC typically doesn't make it down to where we're walking around, but UVA and UVB are the types of rays that can cause sun damage and skin cancer. And believe it or not, you can get that damage just driving to and from work. You get that damage 
damage when it's cloudy out. Anytime, even if you're sitting inside next to a window, you're getting that damage. And, and you want to get some sun exposure to get your vitamin D levels up. But what you can do to protect yourself is you want to wear a moisturizer SPF. And so what that is, is men and women can use that. It's a sunscreen with SPF 15 to 30, and you can apply that each morning. It's a good barrier. You can get into the habit, put it next to your toothpaste. You put it on every morning and it's just a good protectant to kind of keep your skin moisturized, which helps prevent the dryness. And it also cuts down on those rays that your skin is absorbing. Some of our listeners might be follically challenged like I am. I know people can't see that, but the scalp is obviously one of the things that's most exposed. If you're a man experiencing hair loss, what would you recommend in that case? Well, first of all, I have to say you have a very nice shaped head. So I don't, I don't think I could <laughs> I pull off. That. I don't think I could pull this off as well as you do. So I'm, I'm hoping that I can hang on to the hair. But the simplest thing is to wear a hat. So when you're outside, get in the habit of wearing a hat to cover that because that is what we see a lot here. We do see a lot of skin cancer on the scalp. And it is oftentimes in men who have had, you know, receding hairlines. And, and the more exposure that you get, the more, you know, you're increasing that cumulative damage. You're increasing the risk of getting sunburns and that increases the chance of skin cancer. So, you know, the easiest thing that you can really do is wear a hat. And again, the daily moisturizer. So you can put that on your face, neck, arms. You can put that on top of the scalp if you're not going to be wearing a hat. Well, summer will inevitably roll back around and people will enjoy those outdoor activities. Are there certain sunscreens, especially during those hot months, and or clothing items that you recommend? Yeah, so there's specific clothing that you can use. It's UPF, which is similar to SPF for the sunscreen, but UPF is specifically for clothing. And there's a bunch of brands. One of the brands is called Cooley Bar. It's a very high-end clothing line that has UPF protective clothing. What I recommend is you can actually just get on Amazon and find any type of clothing that's got UPF protective gear in it to kind of keep you covered as far as that goes. You touched a little bit on this. You can have sun damage without a sunburn. Explain that a little bit more because most of the time people are like, well, I'm just going to try to prevent a sunburn, but they're not realizing some of those other rays that can be harmful to them. Right. So sunburn is, is kind of to the point where your skin actually could not handle the amount of sun that you're taking in. And so you actually kill the cells that are on the skin and they have to kind of regenerate. And the way that they show that is redness, scaling, peeling, and so on and so forth. But you're still accumulating sun damage every time you're out in the sun. And so one way that you can kind of maintain the vitamin D levels while, you know, preventing the sunburns is just sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. Some of the brands that I really like that you probably, I would recommend that you do anything that is a physical blocker that, and that's going to be either zinc or titanium dioxide are the two things that you want to look for. So there's not a specific brand that's, you know, better than others. My personal favorites are Blue Lizard. And that is when you know you're going to the beach and it's the thick, white, goopy stuff that no one likes but there's no skin cancer that is going to be growing through Blue Lizard. But some of the things that are a little bit better, if you're going to be out golfing, you're going to be active and you don't want that thick kind of white paste, you can get Neutrogena Ultra Sheer Dry Touch. And it's a very thin coat. La Roche-Posay also has a tinted sunscreen. And so I don't know if you've noticed, we're pretty similar. We're both very white. And so it's kind of nice sometimes if you can just pick up a tinted sunscreen. So La Roche-Posay, Neutrogena, all the brands have a tinted sunscreen. So the two things that I would recommend most, um, regardless of brand, find something that's affordable so you can do it long term. But you want to get a physical blocker and that's titanium dioxide or zinc. And then if you can, you know, it's nice to have the tinted sunscreen and it's not as noticeably visible. What about your thoughts on the spray sunscreens? 
So they've actually done studies on the spray sunscreens. You know, if you can get them all over your body, that's the real challenge. So, you know, everyone has probably seen the social media posts where you see the guy that woke up from falling asleep in the sun and he had like a little line of spray sunscreen on, but the rest of his body is absolutely just charred. So, you know, I think it's easier to rub on or have someone rub on sunscreen, but anything is better than nothing. So, you know, if you're by yourself and you're like, you know, this is all I'm going to do, what you want to do is make sure you try and get an even coating and after you spray it on, you can rub it on with your hands. So spraying on sometimes is easier for people and they like that more. Just make sure that you're rubbing it to get a nice even coat after you've sprayed it on. You mentioned people with fair complexions. That would be us. We obviously stand at a greater risk for sun damage than those individuals with darker complexions. But that doesn't mean persons in the latter category are immune to harmful UV rays. What do you typically recommend to people with darker skin? So for me, I have the exact same recommendation. So African-American skin does get skin cancer, Latino, Latina skin, and Asian skin, Indian skin. I've seen skin cancer in every race and ethnicity, and it doesn't matter what your race is. So your chances are higher. The whiter the skin that you have, the increased chance genetically that you're going to develop skin cancer. And that's because we just weren't designed to be out in the sun. So we burn pretty easy. But with that being said, the same recommendations transcend our color. And so that is an SPF moisturizer in the mornings of 15 to 30 sunscreen when you're going to be at the beach you want 30 to 50. So SPF 30 blocks 93% of UV rays. SPF 50 blocks 97%. So when you go above the SPF 50, you're not getting much more bang for your buck. You're just getting more thickness. And so the recommendations are the same for me, regardless of my patients. In order to take good care of your skin, you need to protect it. And lots of people don't think about this. So sun damage causes wrinkles and no one likes wrinkles. So, you know, as much as you can, you want to protect yourself with long sleeve clothing. If you can get the UPF, Cooley Bar, Amazon, morning moisturizers, SPF 15 to 30. Women can have SPF in their foundations. Wear hats when you're outside. You need to live life and enjoy yourself and do the things that you enjoy. Concern about developing skin cancer shouldn't stop anyone, but there are methods that you can do to kind of slow that down and prevent that from happening. Are there parts of the body maybe we don't think about like the lips or something like that, that we typically leave underprotected that maybe we should think about? I think most commonly would be the ears. So people don't think about the lips and the ears and they're actually high risk locations for squamous cell to cause metastasis, meaning it spreads to other parts of the body. So you definitely want to make sure you're wearing SPF 15 and above. You can get SPF chapstick. Aquaphor is a great brand that has SPF chapstick. Make sure you're protecting your ears because one thing, especially guys don't think about is, you know, when you're wearing the hat, your scalp is protected, the forehead's protected, but the ears are still out there. And with COVID, ears have never been more important wearing masks. So we sometimes have to take quite a bit of people's ears and, you know, they always talk about how they never thought to put sunscreen on their ears. And so that would be probably the most common location that I would recommend that people kind of focus on that they tend to forget. Just on the topic of healthier skin, are are there certain foods we can eat, habits we can develop aside from sunscreen that can lead to healthier skin? So that's a great question. I, you know, that's something that they're, they're studying currently, you know, as far as acne goes, kind of protein, whey protein and and lactose diets, high sugar diets have all been called into question for contributing 
to acne. But as far as sun damage, there's actually a vitamin that I recommend for patients that have had multiple skin cancers. It's called niacinamide. So it's a vitamin B3 derivative. It's really shown to decrease skin cancer about 20 to 30% in those high-risk patients, such as immunocompromised patients, patients who have developed more than three skin cancers in a year. But as far as dieting specifically to decrease the risk of skin cancer, I'm not aware of anything specifically at this point that they've come out with that would be worthwhile discussing. Going back to that topic of skin cancer, when should someone get a medical opinion for what they think is a simple mole or a freckle, especially if they think, oh, I've had this spot my whole life? Absolutely. So I think if you've had a spot your whole life, the telltale sign is any growth or change of that lesion. So if someone says, you know, I've had this my whole life, but it's growing a little bit, that's when you need to get it evaluated. And there are things that kind of help you evaluate that. So they say there are the ABCDs of melanoma. So with melanoma, you're looking for anything that's asymmetric. So if something's a perfect circle, it's been there your whole life, it's small, you know, that's probably not necessarily concerning. But if it's asymmetric, meaning if you kind of flipped it in half and it had an irregular shape to it, that's probably something that you want to keep an eye on or maybe come in and and get established with a dermatologist. B is border. So again, irregular shapes, irregular borders. C is color. So if you have freckles all over your body and one is way different than the others, that's what we call the ugly duckling sign. So that is something that you need to keep an eye on. And then D is diameter. So anything more than six millimeters. So the bigger something gets, the more chance that it could be something that could cause you problems. So you might want to get that checked out. And then the final one that they've come up with, I'm sure they'll come up with more, but right now E, evolution. So again, if you've had something your whole life and it looks the exact same, chances are low, not zero, but low that you know it's going to cause you problems. But if it's changing, and color, shape, size, the ABCDs of melanoma, that's something that you need to get checked out. Let's say you've got a mole. Do you have to be more concerned about it getting sun exposure as opposed to, I don't know, another part of your body? So that's a great question. There's back and forth in the literature, they're arguing, you know, whether or not moles develop into melanoma. And so right now it's kind of unclear. They believe that they can, that there's multiple mutations that kind of develop over time. So I think it's a good idea to visit your local dermatologist just to get an established baseline. You get to know the dermatologist and they know you, and then there's no question. So if you have any questions at all, I think regardless of whether it's sun exposed or not sun exposed, it's a good idea just to get a basic kind of screening exam and, and, and set the baseline. And then your local dermatologist will be able to talk to you about, you know, whether or not there's a recommendation based on what they see of whether you need to keep coming in or that you can kind of just leave the visit open to whenever you feel the need to come in. Dr. Nielsen, this is my final question for you. I just want to know like what drew you to where you are working geographically and also what drew you to the field of dermatology in general? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Kansas and, you know, I've kind of been all over for the training and, you know, I grew up in a small rural community. And so for me, kind of trying to find a similar community, this is actually much, Jonesboro is much bigger than where I grew up, but being able to come somewhere and provide a service that wasn't provided before this, to me is a real honor and something really special. You know, my dad was diagnosed with melanoma and it happened right around when I was kind of deciding what I was going to do. So, you know, initially I had been all about 
about orthopedics because I was big into sports growing up. And so, you know, I had an injury that ended my sporting career. And so I kind of thought I wanted to go in and do orthopedics. And that was kind of my way of justifying what happened to me. And it didn't work out that way. So, you know, you meet people along the way, things happen. My dad got diagnosed with melanoma. And so that's kind of developed my interest into the field of dermatology. And with dermatology, there's so many options. So, you know, you can see kids, you can see adults. If you want to focus on pathology, you can do special training to read pathology of the skin. If you like surgery, which is what I enjoy doing, you can go do a Mohs Micrographic Surgery Fellowship. If you have an interest in cosmetics, you can, you know, go do a cosmetic fellowship. And so really, I love being on my feet. I love staying busy. And with dermatology, nothing's ever the same. So we get to see a lot of patients. We get to talk to a lot of people. We get to see a lot of new things. No one day is the same. And with Mohs Micrographic Surgery, when you've done the fellowship, you're trained to read the pathology. You're trained to do the plastic surgery repair afterwards. And so for me, it's a perfect fit, you know, and I'm blessed to have the opportunity to do it. Dr. Nielsen, we're glad you are where you are doing what you do and wish you all the best going forward. Thanks for joining us on HealthWave. Thank you, man. Again, that was Dr. Colton Nielsen, dermatologist and Mohs micrographic surgeon with St. Bernard's Dermatology. You can learn more about the Mohs procedure by visiting the St. Bernard's Healthcare website, stbernards.info, that's S-T-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-S dot I-N-F-O, and typing Mohs, that's M-O-H-S, in the keyword search at the top of the homepage. As always, you can call the St. Bernard's Healthline at 870-207-7300. We also ask that you hit the subscribe button to HealthWave so you can know anytime we post new content. If the podcast service you're using, like iTunes, lets you leave HealthWave a rating, we ask that you leave us a five-star review, and that's just so that other people can find us. And that's all the time we have for this edition of HealthWave, and we hope you join us again on our next episode. For HealthWave, I'm Mitchell Nail. Thank you for tuning in.